Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 321. It's a wonderful podcast. So violent. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Do I always say I'm well first? Is that you do, actually. We... No, I wasn't waiting. You gave <laughs> me a well. look like you were going to be violent. and well. <laughs> I was giving you my look. Like, don't try it. Yeah. These looks translate so well <laughs> on audio. <laughs> Well. Ow! Quit it! Ow! <laughs> Did you guys have a good week? Once I got the podcast edited, it was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Once I got the podcast to upload, it was wonderful. I was just really busy. <laughs> Why such a busy week? Um, just work? I yeah. didn't pressure you at all, did I? No. no. no you, were. you got the piece that I needed early in the week. Early in the week, so that was important. Yep. No, it was just... Uh, we, we're, no, it we're, was our listeners that were uh, bugging <laughs> us. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. You two uh, finished the podcast. I, I think I needed a week where there was no show going out on time for the listeners to be like, is there going to be a show this week? It's like, <laughs> oh, they do care. <laughs> so it kind of reaffirmed my commitment to the show. <laughs> Not at, not that at any. I don't want to give the impression that at any point in time I was sitting there with my arms crossed, being a petulant child, going, "I'm to see if anybody really listens to it." <laughs> I just assumed that's what he was doing. <laughs> no, we're just kind of in that period where there's a ton of stuff coming up. We've got 18 different fun runs in the area, and there's a cancer walk, and there's it's spring. <laughs> it's spring, and there's Easter and you Irish fest. Stuff and, to do. Yeah, no, I'm not complaining. It, it's just keeping me busy, and because I'm the the PSA guy. In fact, there's even been talk this week about possibly me going full-time, which I'm not complaining about at all. So, knock on wood that that happens. But, yeah, don't <laughs> knock on the table. <laughs> there you go. That table you knock on. But uh, it just, you know. What happens if I knock on this Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just, it, you know, it was so so busy and then i've got a, a potential infomercial that i might be shooting outside of work and oh. so I've, I've just had a bunch of projects this week and uh kind of kept me away from the editing and at about midnight or one in the morning when i would start to crawl to bed it would be like i should edit <laughs> <laughs> so my apologies it's totally my fault well we got some as i said listeners that were is everything okay and 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 somebody had remarked that they were in fact i think i had mentioned on facebook that my my computer shot craps this week and uh somebody posted is that why the episode <laughs> fortunately we had seen the writing on the wall and because mine had been acting up so we switched recording over to sean which was actually a very good idea that we did that <laughs> yes lose that in the middle um but yeah then i had to say i have no idea what's going on with the podcast i'm not an editor, I'm not the editor. it was at about at that point when you said i saw your post i don't know what's going on and i went Ooh, yeah, I, I, I really need to get on this. And then you finally sent me a, are we going to see that anytime this week text? And it was well, like, yeah, I'm working on it. And that was after a tweet, too, of finally of, come on, I'm waiting. Come on, give me my fix. Well, we had a, yeah, we had a, uh, we had an agreement, agreement that I would leave you alone till Wednesday. And so when Thursday came around, I thought, okay, I better shoot the obligatory text to him and see if he's forgot about me. 
Three, my, my reply to you, though, I was so proud of that. that was the <laughs> I saw that. Oh. Yeah. Any progress on that? Let us redefine progress. <laughs> I was on top four. <laughs> well, then, unfortunately, I couldn't do. I was so busy this week at work, but I couldn't do anything at work with it. So I had to go wait until I got home that night to upload it. So. Well, then he's texting me, going, "I don't know if I can upload this from home." <laughs> and I said, "Well, you can come over here and upload it. I just don't know how to do that part." He didn't. Yeah, you got it figured out. I did get figured out. Apparently, he just doesn't like to come over. No, actually, kind of surprised truth, when he's here first. Truth be told, <laughs> the reason it was a little delayed a little bit more is because I went saw Logan. Oh, as was it? I went saw Logan after work <laughs> because now that I'm on an earlier shift, kind of. There's, yeah, there's there's a caveat to that, but now that I'm on an earlier shift, I can actually go see late movies after I get off work at night. So. What'd you think? I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. The it's, rated R aspects didn't bother you? It's not as hyper-violent as everybody makes it out no, to be. No, it's really it's, not. Uh, it has some very gory, violent moments, but overall, it's no Deadpool. What it is, is the violence is interspersed so far throughout yeah. the movie that it's not constantly right. hyper-violent. It's that hyper-violent said, when necessary. And there, there are times where they could have went all out when, it, when there were a lot of action-violent mm-hmm. scenes and they held back, so I appreciated that. That being said, it didn't. it still didn't need the hyper-violent. It mm. didn't need it. There's no aspect to that film that required that to happen, in my opinion. Off-camera violence or, you know, the, 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 the presumed violence, that kind of stuff that they've done. I don't know. I kind, of, I kind of enjoyed seeing Wolverine go berserker Wolverine mode, could you be know? berserker Wolverine mode because they've done that in the past. He could still do it without showing the, some of the actual clutch, that, that, you know, going into heads and heads mopping off. They didn't need that. See, this was the first time I felt like I saw what Wolverine was capable of. Yeah, see, I, but again, and I'm not, we, I'm not, I'm not advocating violence. It's, it's not, list, it's not yeah. necessary. Um, the other thing that I will, I will say that I was a little saddened by was the, that they felt like they had liberty now to use the F word, which I would think was fine. But it was it was used in, it was it almost felt like it was used in spots to get a reaction from the audience as opposed to organically entering in, entering it into the conversation. There were times where it was very organic where it was yeah. used. Then there was times where it was very um, it felt like it was like, hey well, we can up the f word count now like, <laughs> like pretty much any time Patrick Stewart said. Well that was well no there was one or two that I thought no, was natural with Patrick Stewart. Really? Quite frankly. Patrick Stewart's character, the, the Professor X's character, it worked for him, and the reason being is because of the state he's in. Yeah, it and he only he only does it a few times. There was only a, yeah. maybe two that I that I heard, but because of the state he's in, it's acceptable. It was not acceptable, but it, it's it, it it's coded a little bit, right. and so it works. It, it felt organic. There were times, and even even Logan, I think, was too aggressive with it. But there were there were times it was overdone. So that being said, it did not have to be a hard R. I, I completely disagree with anybody that says that, you know, it was, it was good to see him finally be able to get an unleash. No, you didn't need that. But overall, the movie has so much emotion and so much heart that it that the hard R doesn't ruin it because mm-hmm. it's got so much good stuff about it. For me, a little bit, the hard R aspects to it makes everything else seem even more raw. All the emotion and everything feels a bit more raw because of the gorier aspects to it, too. Yeah, I don't think, still don't think I needed it. So, yeah, that was part of the, sorry, listener, that's part of the reason you didn't get it right after Sean uploaded it, or right after Sean sent it to me. So. Gwen continues to surprise with films that I think he's going to like and films that I think he's going to hate. Mm-hmm. And this one, I didn't think you'd hate it. I didn't think yeah. you'd hate it at all. I figured you'd like it, but I didn't expect you to like it this much, and I didn't expect you would like it to the level that you 
are ready to go see it again. Yeah, yes. I thought the the hard R would really bother Jim. No, 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 hmm. it, was, it was it was well done. <laughs> That's the other thing I did this week. We'll Do you watch Legion? Oh man, I'm caught up on Legion. I'm wow. an episode behind. Wow. That okay, so is... when that thing happened with that guy, it doesn't matter. That is a mind <laughs> I could tell you what happened, and you wouldn't know. <laughs> that that series is a mind flip. Oh, yeah, it man. is, and I love it. It's good. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the the series is it's it's not really going anywhere. No, but it, it 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 draws you in so much with each individual episode well, the, that you don't care that it's not going anywhere yet. How how far are you? Are you current? Having, we're ahead of you on a show? That's amazing. Well, there's a reason for that. It really happens. <laughs> Have they said in show that this is Xavier's kid? Not yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. But did you see Patrick Stewart this week said that he'd be up for making a cameo appearance? Oh, Legion? did he? <laughs> after saying that he was done after Logan, that, oh, yeah, I'd come back for, for Legion. And because this is his, you know, Xavier's kid, and I went, Oh, that makes so much more sense you now. Spoiled things for a lot of people that didn't know. I'm going to cut this anyway. <laughs> Wait, we're talking about what I did this week. I'm talking yeah, about I'm... Legion. Snip, uh, snip, no, no, no. snip, snip, snip. Hey, any anybody with a, with a, a comic of comic background knows that, that I didn't. Uh, They're was, all related somehow. Well, yeah. <laughs> David is uh, Professor Xavier. X-Men, son. or as I like to call it, incest. In fact, that's, that's why he's so powerful. That would make yeah. sense. Well, it, it, it suddenly son. dawned on me. I was like, oh, because I didn't know that. I, mean, I, think, I, I don't think I knew that, but I'm not surprised it. to learn that. Yeah, it, may, it, it kind of makes sense. And more attackers just... is mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be that a little bit not, surprised not, by that. that <laughs> you know who's surprising me the most in this show is Jean Smart. I'm really having such a hard time looking at her and going... You're in a comic book show. Okay. <laughs> last thing I saw her on was Designing Women. That's the last thing. Hey, it's the Designing Women chick. She's great. She's oh, yeah, she's fun. Now. She's kind of a female Professor Everybody X almost. A little bit, yeah. Solid. I'm on the fence on it still. I'm hoping the trippiness pays off to some extent. Well, fortunately... I, I, I kind of feeling about it the way I felt about the first season of Preacher. The ride's been kind of enjoyable, but I'm kind of reserving judgment until I see where it's going. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing with Legion is you can't tell where it's going. They've really yeah. done nothing. Yeah, they've literally done nothing. It, I'll tell you, I was, was I'm glad comatose they, for a whole episode. I'm glad that they backed off of the mind trippiness of the first episode because that one was really. Although trippy. episode three was really trippy well, too. They, they did that, yeah, <laughs> with Jermaine. What's his face from Fly of the Concords and in the uh, crystal uh, in the ice ice thing. Yeah, he's that was somewhere cool in the one. astral plane, uh, but. I think the first, if they'd all been that mind trippy, I probably would have gone, okay, this is getting exhausting. Yeah, but, they've, but they've they scaled back of, a lot. They've done uh-huh. a nice, they've done a they, nice They've job. changed how it's mind trippy. Yeah, <laughs> they've showed us how many ways it can be mind trippy. But it's, but now it looks like next week's episode is going to be really mind trippy again, <laughs> by the way. So warning, <laughs> just the way that it ended. This is the interesting thing about the show is I, I watched it and it was kind of like, eh, you know, I, I'm intrigued enough to watch some more, but I don't know that I'm hooked. If I didn't know it was tied into the X-Men universe, I probably wouldn't be as intrigued to watch more. I think that's part of it. Episode 2, it was like, okay, that answered a lot of my questions from Episode 1. So, yeah, okay, I'll watch some more of this. And then Episode 3 was so trippy that it was just like, okay, where are you going next? So, it's it's almost one of those shows that... And then you're halfway, almost halfway through the season, and you're like, well, I might as well finish it out. It's one of those shows that, quite honestly... Yeah, there's only, what, 12 episodes? 8. 8 episodes. As I'm eight. watching oh, it, wow. as I'm watching it, I don't know if I'm enjoying it or not. Because I really have to work at the show. <laughs> but then afterwards, when we're talking about it, it's like, 
yeah, I think I am really enjoying this. <laughs> so I'm not caught up because I started a new job. <gasps> yeah. A uh, new eight, job. Eight to five, Monday through Friday. Holidays off, state work, state government work. So I'm sorry. No, it's been great so far. I'm not sorry. You get all those state holidays off. Yeah. Pay. It's just our state, you know. Plus, sounds like our state leader is going to be leaving anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> I technically work for a cabinet appointee, so. Dear Italy, <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> so that's been an adjustment, but I've been able to watch some of my shows, but not very much. A lot of the ones that Sarah doesn't watch with me. But it did allow us to that's watch. That's what you're going to miss out that, on. That's the problem. Is you're going to have your TV time with Sarah. You're and we're, not gonna have we're absolutely caught up again. on all that stuff. <laughs> like, we were Gotham two episodes behind on that for a really long time since it went on its whatever break this is. And finally got caught up on that. And now can tackle some of these other shows we were wanting to start. Did you see... Uh... Uh, Alexander Siddig. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a casting coup for me, because I'm like, that's enough to get me to start watching Gotham. I don't even know how I much hope he'd they be do, in the show. I hope they do something good with him, because we're yeah. about to give up. <laughs> He's going to be uh, Ra's al Ghul. Oh, okay. Gotham just can't decide if it wants to be a super... Well, it didn't at the time. Decide whether it wanted to be a superhero show or if it wanted to be a crime drama. Now it's just completely... It's jumped the shark, it's killed the shark, it's jumped back over the shark, and then it reanimated the shark to jump over it again. <laughs> wow. Uh, the other thing I did this week, and I think Keith did too, is... We went and saw Kong, Kong Skull Island. How is it? I've it's heard good. good things. I really enjoyed it. It's really fun. It's, it, it's not one that you're going to go and think, oh, this is the most intelligent, the best movie I've ever it's seen. Not it's not going to change your life. It's, yeah, it's not going to change your life. It's not like... it's not. It's a lot of fun. It's it, it, If I were to equate it to anything, and this is going to sound bad because they're so campy, it really feels more in line with the Toho films, that the Godzilla versus King Kong. It, it, it's not as campy as that, but it's like it's fun because there's a lot of action, there's a lot of exposition, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of setup and a lot of there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of humor. There, I mean, it's, it it really it's a fun, it's a fun fun movie. It ties in really well with Godzilla. They did make the gorilla much bigger. So <laughs> it will be able to fight. Godzilla. And I didn't realize how much they had tied in until I went back and started rewatching Godzilla. And yeah, that's really te- heavily tied in. Yeah, Mason and I are going to uh, probably pick that back up. We've both seen it, but we saw it individually. And uh, I had to remind him a lot about a lot of the monarch. Uh, yeah, that was all of the stuff that I didn't anything, remember. Because that's peppered throughout the entire yeah. uh, Kong movie. But. It does yeah. what Godzilla did with Godzilla and tell a good story, but it brought the fun level up much it higher. Did, yeah. Oh, good. It's not it as dark of a film. Yeah. It's not as serious. It, and John C. Riley, is that right? Yeah. 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 John C. Riley is the best thing about the film. Normally, I he don't like him in stuff, but so, I really liked him in this. Oh, so good. Boy, I'll tell you. These, the these monsters, this, this real monster verse is going yeah. to be great. Uh, <laughs> that's a good name for it. I thought everybody did a good job in it. I like the fact that there was both kinds of villains in the film. Yeah. My only complaints with Kong Skull Island is there wasn't as much Kong as I would have liked. I could have used a lot more I think Kong. We'll get a lot more Kong. Later. I'm, I'm sure we will, but it, it was just he left for a good chunk of the film, and I'm like, come on, it's I don't care about these other monsters. I came to see Kong. Keith goes <laughs> to nature documentaries about monkeys, and then walks out and goes, oh, there wasn't enough monkey in it. <laughs> Touché. Mason was stoked. He went with this guy. He <laughs> loved it. Spoiler alert. King Kong's not really, really a bad guy in this movie either. No. When he comes down to it. But 
Mason was a little confused why if Godzilla's a good guy in the first one, or ends up being a good guy in the first one, King Kong's a good guy in the second one, why are they going to fight? And I said, well, I think it's going to be like Batman versus Superman where they're going to fight for a while and then they're going to team up. Sarah asked me, why, why, why are they going to fight? And I said, <laughs> let them fight. <laughs> the only response I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to my, my Citizen Kane slow clap. <laughs> I had, uh, yeah, I'd rather them just team up to begin with. But go with the exception got, of of Godzilla versus or King Kong versus Godzilla in the Toho films. That it actually, actually is just a fight. fight all I guess you, they're animals, so they got to choose who's alpha. Um, well, yeah. Godzilla. <laughs> I think Godzilla is still bigger I'm, than Kong. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ridiculously. Keith, I'm, I, I hate to break the news to <laughs> Oh, you. I know. Godzilla's totally the alpha male. Godzilla pretty much that, always though, wins. Because John C. Riley's character says Kong's getting bigger. That's true. He's growing. They, they yeah. did that, and I went, oh, that's why they yeah, did that. Yeah. They're gonna, by the time the 19, or the 2000 or the present day rolls around, yeah. it's probably... Because it's going to be man. 30 years later. and <sighs> <laughs> Another universe to get excited about. Yes. And a universe doing it right. Yeah, they're two good movies in. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not rushing to do it all no, either. The second movie wasn't King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> for, for those of you keeping track at home, Monster Universe 2, DC Universe 0. <laughs> Giant Monster Universe. Giant, Giant Monster Universe. Universe. The, the jury's still out on Monster Universe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Universal Monster is what that one has to be called. Well, that's true. It's Universal Monster. Universal Monsterverse. Sean, do you watch anything? I watch Transformers the movie. <laughs> Which you've seen before. Which I Well, it's been probably since it came out. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. It's not one that I go back to. I was never oh. a Transformers kid. I, I was a G.I. Well, I wasn't kid. a Transformers kid either, but I, I'll, any chance I get, I'll watch Transformers the movie. It's so good. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it, so. I was really struck this time through watching it that, first of all, it is... Such an '80s movie. Yeah, it is just drenched in, in soundtrack. The soundtrack's visuals. great. The soundtrack is distracting. They have mm. rock '80s songs playing at moments that you shouldn't have. Like you, know, you got the touch. And uh, that, I love it. I, I love, love the song. I, I love the song. I, I love that the moment in the movie too. But it plays That's right the other before thing about that. Skull like, Island is it has a great soundtrack. I want a little more gravitas to that moment. And then I watched part of the documentary on it, and they were like, "We really didn't feel, you know." What was the goal? Well, we're coming out with the 87 toy line, which means we have to eliminate the 1986 toy line. So that was pretty much the goal of Transformers. <laughs> yeah, we kill everybody. Yeah. And they said, we didn't reset the toy line. We didn't think about the fact the kids were going to be devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you watch Optimus Prime die. And it's, it's not Spoilers. like, yeah, <laughs> Optimus Prime dies. He never truly dies. And it's not like a little bit. It's like he gets shot, stabbed, then goes to the hospital bed and bleeds out. And then he turns gray. And <laughs> the only thing missing is the tongue hanging. <laughs> he flatlines. I mean, it's it's an emotional. And they were like, yeah, we didn't Do think Transformers kids would... have beating hearts? <laughs> That's the other thing. I love, 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 love the production design background visuals of the Transformers. I love that weird, junky, almost anime look to the planets and the spaceships and everything like that. I just wish you had normal characters in the foreground because the robots look just like the backgrounds and it's almost too hard to differentiate mm -hmm. what's going on with yeah. them. Um, but I was really struck by how much action. This movie's non-stop oh, yeah. from top to bottom. There's not a scene of dialogue. The only pause 
is Optimus dying, and it's couched between the next action scene. <laughs> and so then they get on the run, and then they get shot down, and then they are on the run again, and then the bad guys show up, and I mean, it's just bump, 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 bump. And then there's a gigantic planet-eating Transformer that attacks Cybertron, and it's voiced by Orson Welles. Mm. I mean, it's just, oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I forgot everybody dies. Yeah. Everybody dies in this movie. <laughs> and you got to remember too. This was a Saturday morning, well, Saturday afternoon TV show that was very '80s. You know, clean, no, hardly any violence. I mean, there's there action, but very little violence. Yeah. There's always kind of a moral at the end of each story, and then they take it to the big screen, and it's like uh, 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 kill, kill, kill. And I was like, and kids are like, "What is going on here?" Let's move on to news. The Mondosian Cybermen are returning. <gasps> Filming has started on the final block for Series 10, and the BBC released a picture showing the 12th Doctor being menaced by the Mondosian Cybermen down to the cloth faces. If you haven't seen the picture, it's on and there. And bare hands. And bare hands and everything. Big old chest units. They will be featured in the final two episodes of the season, written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Rachel Talalay. So that's exciting. Is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm kind of surprised Moffat decided to do this because That's Peter was kept thing, pushing it. That is one thing I'm worried about. I think Moffat's thrown everything out the window with this series because he knows it's his last and it's the final. So let's do everything we can. Here's, here's my problem with Mondasi and Cybermen. They are incredible in the first Doctor <laughs> era. They're perfect. And the reason they're perfect is because they're the best thing that you have for that era. The product they're, of the time. They're a product of the time. They look incredible from the perspective of the 1960s. They're genuinely scary. They're the ideal Cyberman is fresh and new, and it works because you know there's this menacing fleet of of men that have been basically transformed from human to Cyberman. As the series progresses and the Cybermen catch up to the times of uh, of being able to do more with them to to make them more metal men and more to work better with as as technology well, advances even the next time we see the cybermen they're upgraded right. so much because they continue to have the resources to do that so that's why by the time we get to the new series the cybermen are very robotic like or are exactly what they probably should have been back then <laughs> So my problem with that is when you start to explain things, which I don't think you have to do, when you start to explain things as to <laughs> do you why, do watch they this still, show? why do they still have human <laughs> hands? Why does everything look so primitive? It's 1988, for crying out loud, in the 10th planet, right? It was 88? I think that's the time period. So 86. 19, 80, okay, it's 1986. Well, 80, 86 is the one it's in mid-80s Attack of the, the Cybermen. The, it's in the mid-80s in the time of the, the, the Cybermen. So... When you're, when you're working with what you have for a show in the 60s showing the future, it works. It's 86. It, it works. When you bring that back because it was a character designed from the past, it's clunky, it's obvious, and now you have to go above and beyond to explain why do we have flesh hands? Why do we have technology that looks like the 1960s as opposed to 2017? Why do we have those issues? And so I'm reserving judgment because if they can cleverly do it and I can buy it, then it'll be okay. But it's for the same reason they changed the design of the uh, Silurians. If those Silurians showed up right now, they'd be out of place. They'd be obvious. It wouldn't work. 
Same thing goes with the, uh, well, any number of them. The Daleks are the only ones that really kind of still look like they looked back then, mm, but they, they looked didn't incredible too much. back then. It's a style of Tarans. Anything that you can bring up, they have upgraded because of the fact that they have advanced in what you can convincingly show the audience that the especially a new audience and that's my other problem with this is when you bring Mondasi and Cybermen in it feels like fan service which I'm fine from my point of view being a fan <laughs> but they're already struggling with keeping the new viewers that are coming to the series in Peter Capaldi's years while it's, I still think it's it continues to be a good show they're losing their their new viewers that 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 ducked off after Matt Smith left they're losing even more. It's losing those people, and it's holding on to the fans. And so this feels like more of a service to the fans. I think the Movellans is going to be the same thing if they go, they push the envelope and do it a little too far with that. So I'm reserving judgment because while I think those Cybermen were super awesome for the context <laughs> they were in, they aren't super awesome in modern context. They don't. It doesn't work. It shouldn't be. It's like it's like lifting back the curtain and saying, "Oh, we're going to show you the the clunkiness of, of Doctor Who now." in the modern era. So I think that's I think that's a misstep, but we'll see what they do. I think it's exciting that they're going to be there. I don't anticipate them being there a lot. They've started filming. They wanted to do this little thing, and it's going to be like a pre-credit sequence or something very small, and they're going to be replaced by like modern Cybermen or something. It's, well, they, we already know that there are different variations of Cybermen in it. Yeah. Cybermen are even showing up in this. According oh, are to they? Little blurbs I read, yeah. So it, it seems like it's going to be a... Kind of, oh, if, if that's the case, a progression throughout the cyber era. And it's just going to be a quick, there was no way they could film this without it leaking, so they got in ahead of it. And it's going to be like a five-minute bit yeah. to be a, a reference. Well, I'll, I'll squee really loud when they show up, but I'm not holding out hope that it's going to be a whole two-part episode devoted to the Mendozian Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, you don't want to see them. They're scary. <laughs> One, I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong too, I, but that's what I'm. I want that's what I'm stealing myself for. Two, Although I do like Telosian Cybermen just as much. <laughs> the, the reason that I hope you're wrong is because we were promised every Dalek ever in Asylum of the Daleks, and it became such a. Oh, I think I saw one back yeah. there, and it's yeah. like, well, why even bother? It's if you're just going to throw them in there, I don't really well, care if they were in there if, or not. If this is a progression through the time, that's why I think that's why they're not promising every Cyberman ever. It's they've realized in hindsight that they promised too much more yeah, than they provided. Right. Now, I agree with the fan service, and I agree with the idea that you're kind of pulling back the curtain. I 100% disagree with the use of them, and here's my rationale for that. Within the confines of the show, the Silurians, the Santarans, all of those, yes, you're right, you kind of have to update that design. You, you, you simply can't have a Sea Devil show up on today's Doctor Who. It's not going to work. Now, if you redesign the Sea Devil and make me believe that, oh, okay, maybe that's what they were supposed to look like, sure, I'll buy that. The Cybermen still work. The Mondosian Cybermen still work in today's Doctor Who, because of the nature of them, the fact that they were people. They're not robots. They were people who started augmenting themselves. And I don't care that it looked like 60s era technology. It's still, it's a radar dish and, it, you know, it's still futuristic, clunky sci-fi stuff. It's like, okay, fine. I have zero problem with that because it's, you're augmenting yourself with this. It doesn't have to look like a bionic hand. It doesn't have to look like, you know. It doesn't have to be all robotic. You're right. Within the confines of the cyber timeline, to go from that to the Telos Cybermen to the Revenge of the... You know, 
there's a, a general progression there that they keep getting more and more updated and more and more uh, adaptive. Fine. The problem is they killed them. <laughs> they, they, they really ended the cyber threat. And all of the stories that we've gotten with the Cybermen have been after the wars, after they've been not a thing anymore, Tom. pretty much from, from Tomb on. Yeah. That they've all been this little ragtag bit of group that's still kind of hanging on. And so we've never... So much so that they had to go to an alternate universe in the uh, Fifth Doctor's era <laughs> yeah. to reboot the Cybermen. We, we yeah. never really got that next evolution of Cybermen that probably should have been, I don't know, wrestle on robot style almost where it was or, or, or terminator 2 it should have been you know liquid metal or something that they had evolved even beyond what you can do within the within the cyber timeline so now new who comes along and we get alternate universe uh cyber industry which i you know as a fan i was squeeing oh they brought the cybermen back and they did a kind of a cool thing with it and then the problem started because now you've kind of established in this universe this is the thing even though this universe isn't your universe so how do you bring them back? Well, we're going to keep the design because we're on a budget. But take the Cybus logo off. But take off. the logo off and kind of have them do the same thing. And the Cybermen... Or have are... them slip through cracks between universes. and Right. And, and they're still kind of... Regardless of what they've done with them in the new series, they're still Pete's World Cybermen. Yeah. They, they still clunk around and they have... I have yet to be impressed like genuinely impressed with any of the new cyber stories. I've enjoyed them, but I've, uh, I've not really been way. dark water and death in heaven is the most unique they've gotten. And that's the most the unique they've gotten. Story. But being able to fly while, okay, cool. That, that's, well, I, I meant more the conversion process. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but being able to fly and, and some of the, you know, turning them into Iron Man, some of those things are, well, it's about time that we got to this <laughs> kind of thing, but they're still Pete's world Cybermen. They're, they're, they haven't evolved beyond that initial appearance. So, dealing with a show like Doctor Who that has time travel at its core, and you're going to visit, hopefully, the Mondosian era of the Cybermen, and that's why they look like that. Yes, I'm totally on board with that. And all the Doctor has to do is for Bill to go, wow, that's a little low-tech. And all he has to do is explain their origin. They were people. They started on. Okay, you, I, I don't. We're need early in their that. progress. Yeah, I don't need I anything. It's, it's, that, so. It works better if he travels to them as, as opposed to cyber, well, these Cybermen showing up on Earth. Right now, here's, here's now that shot worries me because it looks like an Earth hallway, yeah, but it but it's also the, a twin Earth. Here's the other issue I have with that, though, is I don't have a problem going back to the Mondasian uh, Cybermen. The problem that I have is the the hands, which was a co- was a uh, costume mistake. They just did, they couldn't do the hands, and they were supposed to paint the hands, and they didn't. We only know that the hands looked fleshy and humany because we know so much about the series. So to do that, I think they should have done silver hands at the very least, or put gloves on them. I think the other problem I have is it's implied in the classic series in the 10th planet that they're completely made of metal they're not the unfortunately back then in order for them to move they sprayed silver uh, <laughs> yeah. cloth suits so that they can move and when you look at this it's the sprayed silver cloth suits it's the gloveless hands it's the things that they had to get around that you as a viewer you didn't notice that as a viewer you especially had no since idea. it was black and white exactly you had no idea that they had fleshy hands you had no idea now they're lifting that curtain and they're showing them as they actually were, as as opposed to how they intended them to be, and that's the problem I have with it. I think that I like the fleshy hands because to, to it it still shows 
that there is a person underneath all that that there, there used to be a human being and that this is just the last thing that's you know yet to be fixed or replaced or upgraded or what it's kind of that and i would love if for there had, to be a touch i would love had, for there to be listen, some sort of tactile experience with drawn that attention to that though in moon base or not moon base in uh, uh 10th planet if they drawn attention to that or made a mention of that but they they intentionally did not because they didn't want to call attention sure well within the confines of the show they were stuck with those limitations is, but this is how you get around it back you don't have because the average viewer didn't know that they it's it's us that immerse ourselves in the backlog and the history and the behind the scenes of Doctor Who that even know about that. And so that's why it lends to fan service and not necessarily progressive of the story, because those hands should have been metal hands. Their entire body should have been metal. I think well, they can just fix it by filming it in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> it does work. I mean it looks look so better. much better. It looks so much better in black. That's not even true black and white. I think it still works. I'm I'm really, really hopeful and really, really excited. And if it turns out that Moffat's throwing everything to the wind because it's his last season, well, hey, maybe so much the better. That's, Let's that's, see what happens. That's, that's, and and I'm, again, I'm reserving judgment just the same way I was when I was saying it really feels like Moffat's trying to hook on to the whole superhero thing that he did with. Uh, but the problem is he didn't prove to me that he wasn't doing that with the uh, Dr. Mysterio one. So it, when I got there, I had pre- presumed that that's what he was doing. And then when I watched the whole episode, that's exactly what it felt like he was doing. He was, he was capitalizing on the whole superhero thing. And so to me, yeah, his track record is, is worsening with me. And so I think that eventually we're going to get to that point. As well. Losing your faith. I'm losing my faith in, in Stephen Moffat. I'm actually now to the point where I've seen the clunker that was the Christmas special uh, to the point where I'm now concerned about series ten. <laughs> concerned about series ten, and I'm, because I'm, lo- I'm continually losing faith in Moffat, Moffat, and I'm almost wishing he had gone last season. I'm almost wishing someone had, would have stepped in and taken over. I hope he proves me wrong when the series comes back. I hope I go okay. I'm glad he he, he stuck around for one. More. I hope that's what happens. But he's not he's not showing me that with by putting things out like this. And I think it's I think it's exactly what. Keith said, as they knew they weren't going to be able to get in front of this thing, so they just owned it and said, here, we're going to show it to people. Yeah. And, and, and I, they've got people like me that are going, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no idea if that's true, that they didn't, that it was going to leak or well, something. Be, but mean, it's, it just seems the most likely. I'm the optimist of the group. I'm going to... You never are. No, you are. You <laughs> no, I'm always the optimist. <laughs> and I'm here I am not. in the middle, trying to walk the type tightrope of both. I have my rose-colored glasses firmly affixed to my face going into <laughs> Easter Saturday. I think it's going to be glorious and awesome, and I'm going to continue to hope that until they prove me wrong. That's, That's it for now. <laughs> <laughs> until they prove me wrong again. 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 That's it for news. What are we reviewing this week, Keith? City of Death. Give me something happy. Get me away from this non-believer over here to my left. <laughs> The doctor takes Romana for a holiday in Paris, a city which, like a fine wine, has a bouquet all of its own, especially if you visit during one of the vintage years. But the TARDIS takes them to 1979, a table wine year, a year whose vintage is soured by cracks, not in their wine glasses, but in the very fabric of time itself. Soon the Time Lords are embroiled in an audacious alien scheme which encompasses homemade time machines, the death of the Mona Lisa, the resurrection of the much-feared Jagaroth race, and the beginning, and quite possibly the end, of all life on Earth. 
Aided by a British private detective, Duggan, whose speciality is stumping people, the Doctor and Romana must thwart the machinations of the suave, mysterious Count Scarlioni, all twelve of him, if the human race has any chance of survival. But then, the Doctor's holidays tend to turn out a bit like this. Bum, bum, bum. Now, that's well, for the story. To, if it was up to Duggan, there'd be cracks in the wine glass. <laughs> that's true. There wouldn't be a wine glass. There wouldn't be a wine glass left. <laughs> I give a bump, bump, bump to the story. Quite honestly, now we've we've reviewed this before, and what we're talking about this week is the novelization written by James Goss from a story by Douglas Adams and David Fisher. David Fisher, which David Fisher is he's the story he wrote the story. Well, and then, but David Fisher isn't a real person, isn't it? And yeah, the one no, that was, no, David Fisher. Is, oh, it's David Agnew. David Agnew. Agnew is, is, is the fake one. The, okay, I love City of Death. I absolutely love City of Death. I don't. There's a lot of Who fans out there that like City of Death is the pinnacle of the show. It never got any better, and that's the best episode ever. And I don't go that far, because I, I, I think there are problems with it. But I love City of Death. The book's okay. It's a novelization of City of Death. I, I don't know what I was expecting. I was kind of hoping for Shada. <laughs> I didn't get... Yeah. I, got, I got a third into this book and thought, well, this really follows the TV show pretty closely. What, yeah. what was all this hidden, lost material that they were going to use to... That Douglas Adams had put out, or had in notes that they were going to use, and they were going to kind of embellish and change it. And then it occurred to me that's, to, that's a pirate, 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 pirate. <laughs> Which James Goss wrote as well. Um, so once I got past that and realized, oh, they're just novelizing the television Which hadn't story, been done before. It worked for me. Although he does add to it. Oh, it's found there's, on. There's, the thing that I liked about this most, especially, is, is Scarlet's background. A lot of, a lot of the and stuff that you get with him through time. Uh, Those really bits were great. Helps flesh yeah. out the story. And things from his perspective, like why would he take off his face for the first cliffhanger, other than that's what monsters do on Doctor Who. And that was one of the things that I, I've always... <laughs> Did I've you watched, read the afterward? I've <laughs> watched City of Death so many times and always was under the impression that that uh, Count Scarlioni knew he was Scaroff the whole time. Yeah, and so that the, the, the mask was, reveal was just, you know, basically a, a for the contrivance audience. for the audience. It wasn't until I read the book and realized that he had no idea, because he was the furthest along in the line, he was the 12th one, that he really had no idea who he was. That he, you know, had peripherally heard the voices, that he had thought they were dreams. He, even as he pulls the mask off, he's, you know, he's pulling pieces off and he's as surprised as the viewer or the reader is that he's pulling his face off, which I thought was actually kind of interesting and, and clever. And it works for me. And in hindsight, now reading the book, when we went back and watched it for Friday Night Who, I kind of glimmered that that might have been where they were going with it anyway, because he does make the comment later that it's all true. You know, he, he makes that, but that doesn't come across well enough in the right. television show in order to, or the television, yeah, the television story in order to convey the fact that this was as much of a surprise to him that he's scared. Now, when all of the memories come back and everything washes over, he's very accepting of it because he does realize that he's in his well, place. And it's like the shroud is lifted on the recessed memories and it works really well again in the book. And so, well, and he goes there for a while, at least in the book, almost against it yeah, or almost fighting it, it a yeah, little. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of him, yep. giving the, him depth. The other thing that the book does wonderfully is by not only did the ship blowing up start the foundation of life on Earth, 
He also is responsible for the invention of fire. He's also oh, responsible everything. for the invention of the wheel. He's it's, I mean, the so, gun, the gun, the pyramids. <laughs> the, I mean, they give so much and, depth. And as they continue to this, these things to unfold, it makes the the count's story or Scarlet's story so much more uh, colorful and so much more impactful to. The situation that we're in today with the Dr. Romana showing up to thwart this. And so I think the book really, really embellishes a lot of the story that you don't get in the television story. So I really, it was, this is almost a compliment to to what is one of my favorite (laughs) classic Doctor Who stories. Well, and it's one of those that, based off the afternote, was in the scripts, and then James Goss kind of took it and expounded on it even more, which I truly appreciated. I, I did find it interesting when I was doing some research on City of Death that when David Fisher was working on this story, it was actually supposed to be like a casino heist <laughs> oh. <laughs> in Las Vegas, yeah. and then eventually moved to Monte Carlo, and Adams liked the uh, trappings of the French Monte Carlo so much that that's why it was surplanted to Paris, because mm-hmm. it would be easier to go there. And a reason to get out of town, which I don't know if you guys knew this, Douglas Adams didn't get to go to Paris. Everybody oh, really? else went to Paris, because <laughs> there's this terrific Easter egg on the DVD where he's talking about how he's sitting in his office and everybody else is in Paris. And the guy that, the, the, I think it was the director for Destiny of the Daleks, which they had not shot yet, I didn't realize that either, apparently came in and said, what are you yeah. doing here? Shouldn't you be in Paris? And he said no. So they take a plane, fly to Paris, show up. Everybody's very disinterested in the fact that Douglas Adams and this other guy's there, that they decide to leave and go on a bender. <laughs> Until like 5 a.m. in the morning, they hop another flight back to London, and then they both go to work. <laughs> it's a, if you get a chance, find the Easter egg because it's a wonder. Oh, it's just great. Douglas Adam in some interview for something, expl- talking about this story of going to Paris. <laughs> it was so funny. Anyway, so I, I, I found that interesting that it evolved so much. But it, I, I, it also, you know, Douglas Adams. We talk about a story from David Fisher, but this is really as much Douglas Adams' story. As it is Fisher, because he did rewrite and re-sculpt yes. this story so much, and I think a lot of the funny and the witticisms and the the humor and those kind of things that come across in the television story are very much so Douglas. They're Adams. very Douglas. Adams. And I think James Goss does a good job of transferring those to the page. I think what I wanted a little more from this was more like Shada, how Shada felt more like a Hitchhiker's Guide or Dirk Gently. I kind of wanted this to do the same thing, but there's it's like. Like this is done in the spirit of Adams, and there are some Adamsisms in there, but only because they come across from the television story, not necessarily because he was trying to write this like Douglas Adams. I appreciate that about it now that I'm finished with it, because I think it needed to be a novelization of the story, and Douglas Adams doesn't do the story of City of Death on screen like Hitchhiker's Guide. No, it's so a Doctor. It's it, first and foremost, it's a Doctor it's Who first story. For us, Doctor Who story, and and I think that uh, Goss, James Goss does a good job of continuing that idea of it's first and foremost a novelization of a Doctor Who story, and so it worked well well for me. Uh, I once I got the chance to put it aside and say, okay, yeah, it's a Douglas Adams story, but it's not Douglas Adams. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that kind mm-hmm. of story. So it worked well for me as well. Well, and it's, it's, I hope Pirate Planet will be a little more like Shada was. I think it will be. a little be. more Hitchhikers because they're going back to original notes. It'll be interesting to see how and that Pirate one comes Planet out. Pirate Planet comes across on screen a even bit more, more so like... Yeah. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Pirate Planet's another one of those that I adore. I love Pirate Planet, but in some ways to its detriment, because it's so much like Hitchhiker's Guide, that Pirate Planet is 
it's almost not a Doctor Who story in a way. Yeah. Um, and so much so that if you took it out of the Key of Time series, it would feel really awkward. But yeah. Because it is sandwiched in a continuing thread, it seems to work better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still some very Doctor Who ideas in it, but it's it, it's so far removed from that. So I'll be really curious when we get to that novel, since that's the one that is going to be based on the original treatment if Goss is going to take it and maybe try and move that needle back toward the Doctor Who universe a little bit, or if he's going to do it more like the Hitchhiker's Guide. Because I didn't feel, unlike Shada, which we all raved about how much Gareth Roberts wrote like Douglas Adams and how much he really nailed the flavor uh, of, the, of the writing, I didn't get that from this one. Right. It just felt like it was a novelization of the episode that, yeah, Douglas Adams happened to write that episode. Which he was able to include his witticisms... Because they were in the scripts. Yeah. And even stuff that wasn't in the story, like, apparently he re- restored a lot of Douglas's stage directions, which are in his typical Douglas Adams ways of, Romana picks up a vase and breaks it over the Countess's head, she goes down like a sack of turnips. I mean, stuff like that, that's yeah. that's not James Goss, that no. truly is just Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I'll be curious to see when we get to Pirate Planet how much different it is. I'm not, I'm not dogging the book, I'm still, I, I still loved it, I still enjoy the fact that that we we put this on here and had a ch- opportunity to do it because you know any excuse to revisit City of Death I'm all for. <laughs> I don't feel like it's one that I need to own versus Shada, which is like yeah I'm so glad I own Shada. So yeah. I'm kind of glad that I got See, the library copy. I think I could read this again. I think I would own really? it. I think I would revisit it maybe in a year or so. But maybe because I got as much enjoyment reading it as I get when I watch the television story. And I think because of the embellishments and the, the expounding on the character of Scarleone, expounding on the character of the Countess, which I think you get now watching City of Death, she seems so two-dimensional now. She's, <laughs> if I watched, after reading that, I watched that and I felt like, there's nothing to this woman. Yeah. There's nothing to here. Now, I think Duggan survives. I think Duggan comes across in both. In fact, he's a little more... Americanized. Well. As I read the book, I kept feeling like. Well, in the beginning, like a, he's very, just very much thump, thump, yeah, thump, yeah. thump. Where yeah, there's a lot more thumping in the book. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more ruggedness to Duggan in, in the in the book. But I think that when you watch City of Death, you can still strip all of that away from what's in the book and still get a lot out of Duggan's character. Yeah, yeah as much as you do. Uh, the Doctor Romana, I think, are still spot on. I think they're perfect uh, translations from the book to from the show to the to the book the other thing that i was so grateful for is i've never made it a secret that my favorite cameos (laughs) i thought you'd like that john cleese and i cannot remember the actress's name that that, but she's also comedian that is all my all-time favorite one of my all-time favorite scenes in doctor who just alone let alone the fact that it's cameo so to get Names of them now: Harrison and Elena, and the 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 their the, backstory, the backstory that is peppered through here, where they're going to these different things, and Elena is so into you know art and, you, and Paris, and you you'll find something that will inspire you. And Harrison's very, uh, yeah, no, I don't see it, I don't see it. And then to have that last scene where they're watching the TARDIS and they go running in there and it disappears, and Harrison finally gets his Paris moment. I was like, that is perfect that is so perfect i loved it i loved it i loved getting was that story of a superficial character <laughs> story that i love see that's part of the story that kind of dragged for me i'm with key I, I knew i knew glenn you would love it just because you love that cameo and i and, and as soon as they showed up and she was all about art and he wasn't i knew where it was going 
it was a long setup for a not very funny it, joke. It, it felt like a Terry Pratchett <laughs> joke. Yeah. Because don't get me wrong, I enjoy Terry Pratchett, but Terry Pratchett in his books does a lot of, you see this joke? This is the joke. I'm telling you now, this is the joke. And the punchline, you know the punchline, but I'm telling you now, I'm going to tell you the punchline later on. And a couple chapters later, you remember the joke, that's right? You don't forget about, about it. That's Here what it I is. liked about Color of Magic was all of those little moments. And, and you kind of keep going and going and going and going, and then you get to the joke and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks for, I mean... You, 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 well, we, this one was a little more obvious because we had seen the... We, uh, we know the original source. Story, yeah. So right. we know where he's going with it. Well, but I mean, we, we joke about whipping a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the literary well, and, definition and of whipping a dead extent, horse. And to some extent, it felt like it was his way of padding it out more to to make it more lo- novel length as opposed to a novelization size, whereas the short target version as opposed to this much longer version. Yeah, I'm freely willing to admit, had I never seen City of Death and didn't know who these characters were, maybe that moment would have been, oh, for me. See, Knowing where those characters were, I didn't I'm gonna, care. I'm going to flip that on its ear, and had I not known who those characters were in the TV story, that would have felt like, what do we even who, who are these people? Who are these why are people? We... Why do I care? And I think because he makes you care about such a small moment in the television story, it worked so much better for me. The other thing, quite honestly, is the opening chapter. I love the, the, the Scaroth stuff where we get kind of a little bit more about the explosion. Eleanor Braun, that's who that was. The other actress. Uh, Heidi, the Countess. I like getting her initial in the bank where she meets him for the first time. How much money do you want to steal? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of cool. Most of the first chapter I didn't care about. I didn't care about the professor. It, was, it wasn't until... Disorder. Like a lot of the Scaroth stuff, when we're jumping through time in the first chapter, I didn't appreciate until later when I realized what he was doing with yes, it. That's my thought as well. Once hindsight was, oh, okay, I really appreciate more what that. But but so much of that about. first chapter wasn't even necessarily the Scaroth jumping. It was just here's the initial, I don't know, prologue almost of all of the different that's characters what you're going to like meet. It's a prologue, yeah. And other than Herman, I loved Herman. <laughs> I mean, I love Herman anyway. Herman. Yeah, well, Airman. I never got I never got that from the episode. <laughs> they, they said I his did. name. I thought it was very obvious. I, I, in fact, when I read it, I took me a long time to remember who this guy was because they were calling him Armand in the uh, episode, and, and I kept reading it as that's Herman. Just, that's just French. I kept reading it as Herman. I know, <laughs> it's got I two N's. That makes it, it Herman. It, it took me a long time. Literally, I read several sections with Herman, and I kept thinking, who's this Herman guy? And it really isn't until the... the what a wonderful the, butler. He's so violent. Butler, and I went, oh, Herman, no wonder. Herman. <laughs> that's just a French thing for me. Oh, man. it is. I just didn't think... There's a lot of French in here. That's why you don't like this Well, book. yeah, that was that. <laughs> There's a lot of French in the book. But, but, I stumbled through a lot of it going, what the... How do you read that? I, I never... <laughs> I read French pretty well. I never picked up on it in the episode. As many times as I've seen City of Death, I never really picked up on Herman, other than just there being French and hoity-toity. Seeing it in print with two N's, and then getting that chapter at the beginning, I went, oh, he's a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, his character made so much more sense. <laughs> And I love the professor's description of, uh, how did he put it, trying to figure out, he estimated once what Herman was doing in his formative Her years, man. her man, what he was doing in his formative <laughs> years as a teenager and then decided he didn't really want to. Yeah. 
those bits were great. The rest of the backstory of all the other characters, I didn't care. Oh, no. Well, and I, I didn't. Really... I didn't also didn't care for following along the artist through the rest of the story too. Yeah. See, I think that works for me so much better because I always thought, and that was one of those things that they, what Goss did was he fleshed out things about this TV story that I always felt like were just nuggets that weren't weren't necessary. One was always that artist throwing that paper on the floor and it was just a, a picture of Romana with the cracked face. And I always took it for what it is. It's a uh, uh, more of an illustration of the cracks in time and the thing yeah. because of experiments. And that's always been sort of fine for me. But it, to, to take that piece and kind of broaden it out, I thought that's what I, that was one of the things I loved about it. Because to me, if he would have taken and written the story just as it happened on the television, it would have felt like a target novelization where yeah. there's well, yeah. very little yeah. you know, embellishment. And they really, a lot of the target novelizations we've read have almost felt like script, script to book. And so what, that's what I really liked about this one is it, it, it didn't feel like he was padding it out per se, but it felt like he was expanding on it and having that, that artist that's in there that you know, is constantly having this problem where he's drawing... You know the, the faces, and even with the family, the tourists, the American family that's posing, <laughs> and he's struggling with it because maybe this time, just this one time, I'll be able to draw their faces. You know, and then he can't. I mean, this, it was. I loved that. It was so. That was so colorful. That's what I liked about the novel. Is there was a lot of color to it. See, I will half agree with you. I think a lot of the embellishments with the count and the professor and all of this other stuff, I I enjoyed and didn't feel like padding out. The artists and the. <laughs> Appreciators are the two parts where it felt like it was padded, but everything, all the other embellishments he did and uh, explorations, I absolutely loved. The night on the town with Romana and Duggan, yeah, fantastic. That was great. Yeah. The fact that she gets drunk and, <laughs> for yeah. the first time ever explains why they're both passed out in the uh, cafe. Yeah, overnight. Well, never, I, I love the fact that they go there and then leave again and then come back. <laughs> I never knew that there was an entire night happening in, in City of Death until I read the book because oh, you yeah. never see a night scene. In fact, it all feels like it's done in the scope of probably a, a full day on the on the uh, TV story. There's a full it night. It makes that cafe scene where the, they show back up. Yeah, yeah it makes so much more sense, the, too. Uh, that was another thing that I, I love that he embellished the art uh, See, tour, tour guide. I thought that, that was great. The art tour was, guide embellishment was just more. just enough. And, and it that didn't. Was, that, we didn't follow her through the entire book. That we just got the two did, embellishments. That also did a nice job of, of seeing the Doctor from a different perspective as well. So That's that what it did more really than anything. Well. Yeah. I don't disagree that the embellishments really helped filled out the, the the embodiment of the story but i'm with keith the embellishments to the characters i cared about are great the embellishments with everybody else he very easily could have given us art lady at, at the museum that she goes home and she's got 10 cats and she's really focused on who this mad bohemian guy was at the, she does you know. have cats she she makes comments so she'll have right. to tell her cats but but what i'm saying is we we, <laughs> we know that about her. I, it wouldn't have surprised me had he given us a scene with her at home outside the louvre Several. I just have a bad feeling about something that's going on, and that 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 crazy man I talked to today was responsible for it. Talking to the cat, he could have done that, and it would have been like, okay, some more of that. It just th- th- those those moments. I didn't where those feel like those were. moments were really long either. When I was no, well, the ones with weren't. her, but they were cool. no. no, I'm even with uh, Harrison and and um, Elena. I didn't think those were very long. They, they weren't. They, they were, were just, you know, two, fact, two, two pages or so, but it was just yeah. two pages I didn't need. Sometimes for me, it was a nice break from the story, too. I thought, I kind of felt that way from uh, 
Well, when they go to the, the thing that I thought was a bit drawn out, and I think I liked better in the TV story, is when the doctor goes back to Leonardo's time and writes a fake. There, there was a little bit too much dialogue between him and Scarioni, Scarioni or Captain, whoever he was. Ten, Tengari. Tengari. Yeah. And so, Tengari, and so there was there was that was almost broadened out a little. That was one of the points where I felt like it got a little sluggish, and I was longing for the version that we got on. Uh, but interestingly oh. enough, going back and watching the television story now, that part's longer than I remembered it as well. Yeah, so. there's ten pages of thumb screws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that I thought was embellished a little too much, but I said I didn't hate it. No, it was it was an enjoyable. It was an enjoyable book. It's it one I don't think I would go back to either because. The depth it adds to the story isn't enough to make me want to revisit. Yeah. I can remember the depth next time I watch the story and put those things in while I watch it yeah. mentally. I can see that. I can see that. I'm with him. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me look forward to reading Pirate Planet. Yeah. Uh, it does especially excited if it, to read Pirate especially Planet. Especially if it's the things that James Goss does well in writing, because I think he's a very capable writer. The things that he does well with City of Death, I think there's a lot more than you guys do, but the, the things he does well with City of Death, and the things that uh, Gareth Roberts did with Shada, if he's able to blend those in Pirate Planet, I think we'll get a pretty good story there as well. I hope so. I mean, I'm still, I, I know initially when I found out that it wasn't Gareth that was doing City of Death that I was kind of bummed. I was a bit bummed too. Because yeah. I just enjoyed... Well, he was initially slated to. Yeah, I just enjoyed Shada so much. And now that I've read this one, I'm not overly concerned about Pirate Planet. Like, I, I didn't come away from this experience going, oh man, Pirate Planet's really going to suck now because this guy's <laughs> doing it. I don't want to give that impression. I still enjoyed his take on it. Oh. <laughs> thought you were hiding your face. You put your coat over your head and everything. I was going to pull it up and you, there would be tentacles. Oh! <laughs> something I've been meaning to tell you guys. <laughs> That was the other thing. But I'm that was not going to do it like Scarlione in the television story. I'm going to peel it off one strip at a time. <laughs> I liked how they talked I liked about that fashioning yeah. the uh, the mask. Yeah. How, yeah. How originally it was fine that people just accepted it because that's what their gods looked like. And then <laughs> eventually he had to wear a mask, which was just a hardened you know mask in order yeah. to conceal himself. And then going to the guy and having him fashion the particular mask that could be conformed to his face. That that was cool too. Yeah. yeah that was neat. That was really cool. And I made the comment on Twitter about the um, the scroll when she goes and pulls that Egyptian scroll out and do, 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 and there's the guy, the green guy with the eye on the thing. As a kid, I always just went, "Yeah," because <laughs> that's totally what right. Egyptian gods would look like, right? right? As an adult, I watch it and go, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, it just, I it. But to have that in the book, where he goes, Wait, "That was just a thing. That was just," and I. Yeah, <laughs> I felt justified in my nativity. Well, back to that scene, I really like the way he writes that scene because in the television story, I was always okay with it. Now I'm not. She, the doctor tells her, do you really know who he is? And then she goes right to the thing, opens the, after he leaves, goes oh, yeah. to the thing and goes, oh, and suddenly she realizes, oh my God, he's not the man I know. This did a nice job of leading her into that yeah. and, and convincing yeah. and her suddenly convincing herself that maybe I don't know him well, so and much. It, but that's because she has a lot of interaction with Scar Scarleone as he's changing, as and not changing, but as his plans changing, as things are going, you know, differently than she had anticipated. They feel like they're growing apart in the book, whereas you don't get that, you know, mm -hmm. that separation, that slow separation in the television story. It's really abrupt. So. Well, and he also gave a lot of depth to the bracelet. 
yeah. More, yeah. more uses oh, for it. Yeah. Because in the TV story, it's pretty much just to map the Louvre and get the hologram. And the fact that it's more than that, it's a nice touch. Well, it puts a very subtle blanket over the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> because you watch City of Death and you kind of go, Okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> there are certain things that are not happening in this marriage. <laughs> Even if he's normal from here down, I'm willing to bet there are certain things that are just not happening in this marriage. And she seems totally okay with yeah, that. Now, being yeah. the aristocrat and the countess and everything, maybe that's... Married for money. And, fine. That's what they... You know, they probably have separate bedrooms and the whole bit. But it's still a little odd. Yeah. Well, the book also really sells home all the priceless art they have around. Mm-hmm. And it's it, you know this well, yeah the house kind of grew up around it almost yeah it's, it's all well, been stored it's, here it's sort of been protected over all these years and why has this house been able to allow just you know fire bombings of of Paris and all, and all these different things and the, the chateau really gets more of a reason for being there I think also the the cellars described a lot better in fact yeah when I was reading it I remembered the TV story being a straight down really long stairs. And then to the right, where underneath you'd go underneath where they, they Under were that hidden, archway. where they were br- bricked up. I forgot about the archway altogether. Oh, really? Yeah. And so when I saw the the story again, I went, "Oh gosh, that's completely different than I remembered seeing it." <laughs> I remembered seeing it more like it's described in the book. But is that because I've more recently read the book than I've seen mm-hmm. the television show or yeah, the television story? So yeah, I, I remembered it much more like the book. And then when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of." A- the cellar in the in the TV story is almost 100% completely designed around the stairs have to be this long for Ramana to make her comment about the wall not being deep enough, <laughs> since that's where we're going to put it. That, that yeah. the whole the whole thing is that's where the hidden room is. You said that you didn't think City of Death needed to be in Paris. Well, during the episode. During the episode. While watching it. And Does this change anything for you being... It adds... It gives me more justification as to why I need to be sitting there. Okay. It also... It, the Mona Lisa. Well, other than that... Where is the, else is the Mona Lisa at? <laughs> he could steal any other piece of art and ha- do the same idea is what I, was okay. my thought process. Oh, there was a uh, Dan Brown Da Vinci Code. Yes, I loved that at the very <laughs> end. <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite parts yeah. of it. <laughs> Keith's comment was that you could still set it in Paris without the location shooting. You could have done it all on soundstage, which I don't disagree with. But they just the book also eliminated while well, it, it, it added some running around yeah. Paris, but it gave reason no, for the running yeah, around Paris. Absolutely, that's one of the, the things that's always the episode I, itself. The story itself, I've always felt like was really cool, but there are moments when I'm watching the story where I it really feels like glory shots. It really feels like we're just doing this because we're in Paris. It's always felt like, even from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I've never had that much problem with it. And Urge yeah, to fast forward. Yeah, no. you're right. The book, <laughs> well, I couldn't fast forward back in the day. But, but you're right. The book really kind of makes a reason for the running around. But still, when you watch it, you're like, yeah, they're just embellishing yeah. well, shots because uh, they have the money to go do it. But it always felt like we got the money to go shoot in Paris. Write me a story where we're, we're filming in Paris, yeah. and that's where I say, just from that aspect, it feels like it's a story they could have done elsewhere, or even set it elsewhere and just changed the painting they were stealing. I mean, it could have been anything. Yeah, you you could do it either way. As we know, and as I alluded to at the beginning of this, it was originally you, elsewhere. It was originally in Las Vegas, and it was going to be a casino heist because he wanted to go to Paris. Part of why I think that is also. Julian Glover's portrayal and the costuming of him, he doesn't feel as French to me. 
he feels more Spanish. He he gives almost a very Ricardo Montalban feel to me, and that's part of why I think well this doesn't have to be Paris. I can see that. Although it, I don't it, think the Countess does. I think the she, Countess but she feels very English. She doesn't feel yeah like yeah she doesn't either, she doesn't so. seem French either. So really, the only people that seem French are the art people at the end. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because they're not. They're not. <laughs> the entire episode is set in France. We have no French in this the at all. The entire episode is set in France. There yeah, some of this. Oh, yeah. There's one part of it that's set in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I'm willing to bet there were no Italians. No, in it. <laughs> and they didn't go to Italy to shoot those scenes. No. <laughs> Julian Glover fits better as an Italian than he does. Uh, Doesn't he? Or, or or Italian? Yeah, Spanish or Italian? I'm fine with. No, from I from, guess Italian maybe more. From the confines of the story, there's absolutely no reason to go to the Eiffel Tower at all. No. Other than we're in Paris, we're going to show you that we're in Paris because you have to show the Eiffel Tower when you're in Paris. Yeah. Which, in the beginning, Eiffel Tower makes a bit more sense than the end Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Why are they saying goodbye up there? <laughs> because, 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 we're in, <laughs> because we're in Paris. We're going to film two the, scenes uh, up there. One of the other things that I got from the infotext of the disc this time was that that first shot where they pan across the uh, blossoms on that tree and then reveal the Eiffel Tower, and then we cut to Ramona and the Doctor... That first shot was actually supposed to be shot on a special zoom lens that would have been I wondered about that watching it to their faces on the Eiffel Tower, and so you would it would be nondescript. You wouldn't know where they were, and then it would have slowly pulled back and revealed the Eiffel Tower, which would have been a phenomenal thing. (laughs) That would have. They got there and they took the lens to put it on the camera, and it wasn't the right lens. The mount wasn't right for the lens, so they couldn't use it. So they actually quickly improvised that scene of. Passing across the blossoms and then revealing the Eiffel <laughs> Tower before cutting to the huh. shot. So. Interesting. I like the shot either way. I've always it liked works. that shot of the blossoms, it, and then there's oh, that. Yeah. It just, I've always thought that was cool. For for having to improvise on the spot, that was a very clever way to do yeah. it. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. I don't think what so. What we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule this week, Friday Night Who, which is our uh, weekly Friday night Doctor Who watch along, that you're welcome to join us with in the tweet. And have fun with it. We're doing uh, Peter Davidson in Time Flight. So uh, from one bit of location shooting to another. We can get the Concord in that one. And then a pair of audios for our show next week. We're going to do two big finish mainline stories. Uh, number 91, Circular Time. And number 93, Renaissance of the Daleks. The following week is the arc for Friday Night Who with William Hartnell. Followed by our listeners poll. We're going to release a series of polls asking you to tell us who the worst monsters in Doctor Who are. The ones that are just the absolute dregs that you can't stand because they're horrible and stupid and whatever. And then we're going to defend them. (laughs) That's the goal anyway. We're going to do some funky poetry with the first three parts of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. That's a four-part story, though, isn't it? No, it's a six. uh, uh, It's a seven. Is it six or seven? I think it's six. Is it six? Did I get it right? We'll do three. I thought City of Death was six when I popped the disc and realized I was in seat selection and not... Oh, is that what you were looking at? (laughs) I I, I was going to say that on Twitter, and I forgot to mention what happened. So Invasion of the Dinosaurs the following week, and then a correction, because Keith pointed out last week that I goofed. So our episode number 324, we will still be reviewing the 12th Doctor Titan Comics Series 2, issues 11 through 15. So we'll be finishing that one up. And then initially I had Big Finish mainline story number 89, No Man's Land, but we had skipped an Ace and Hex story. 
So I've taken No Man's Land off the schedule and replaced it with number 79, Night Thoughts, which is the one we should have listened to before we did the settling. I don't think it'll matter, but we'll find out <laughs> in three weeks when we <laughs> get to it. will be all right. We've been making wa- uh, Keith watch Doctor Who out of order for so long. We can listen to one of them. He can stand to do one. And then finally, uh, we'll finish off Invasion of the Dinosaurs on uh, the 7th of April, and the show that week will be the Titan Comics Third Doctor miniseries. And then Big Finish's mainline story number 108, The Assassin in the Limelight, which brings us right up to Easter Saturday and the premiere of the new show. So we'll have a new schedule for you at that point. As far as the shows go, we will, of course, be you know reviewing new episodes episodically, week to week as they come out. And a note at that point that has been our policy from the get-go, once it has aired in regards to Doctor Who, it's fair game to talk about. So if you want to continue to listen to us and not be spoiled, you better be watching along as well. We'd appreciate it if you could support us on Patreon. We have a button on our page, TravelingTheVortex.com. It'll take you right to Patreon. There you can make a generous donation or a simple donation, a small donation, whatever you can do for us. All of that money goes right back into the show. Thank you again to all of those who are supporting us. Uh, you guys don't understand how impactful monumental those, monumental those do- donations are. They, they, it really does help this show. It keeps, keeps things going on. Unfortunately, it's never enough to buy me a new computer, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but keep it coming. I don't know if that it. goes right back into the podcast. <laughs> uh, server course, space, I understand. Yeah, that space. one makes sense. Of course, we have other links on the side of the page there that uh, we'd like you to click through as well. If you're uh, considering buying on Amazon, definitely click through that link. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, if you'd like to buy a copy of City of Death, go to our page first and then go to Amazon to buy it. A couple of uh, convention appearances, just FYI for uh, the folks out there that are looking to maybe catch us live. We uh, are going to be at Planet Comic Con at the end of April in Kansas City. And then we are finalizing our plans for British Fest up in Omaha, which June. is in June. The first week of First week of first June. Week of so uh, those are two that you can find us at if you're in the area. All right, if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.